Welcome to Spirits Podcast, a boozy dive into mythology, legends, and folklore. Every week, we pour a drink and learn about a new story from around the world. I'm Amanda. And I'm Julia. And this is episode 298 with the fabulous, the spooky, the podcaster extraordinaire, Sarah Marshall. Sarah, welcome to the show. Thank you so much. I am spooky. That's true. Not everyone notices that, but it is definitely true. Yeah. Our <laughs> listeners are creepy and cool, so you are in good company here. Good. <laughs> so, Sarah, can you, like, just for people who maybe have not heard of you who are listening mm-hmm. to the show, can you tell us a little bit about, like, who you are and what you do? Yeah. So I uh, host a podcast called You're Wrong About that I started in spring. We started recording it in March. We started releasing it in May of 2018. So it is a Taurus. <laughs> and I've been doing the show solo for the past six months and also co-host a podcast called You Are Good with my friend Alex Steed, which is a feelings podcast about movies. And I would say that both in their own way are about modern mythology that we often don't think of as such. And specifically, you're wrong about You know, the first episode we ever did was on the satanic panic. And one of the themes as the show grew up has been moral panics, which we're certainly living in an age of. And essentially, you know, my read of a lot of them is that you'll hear an absolutely absurd conspiracy theory, you know, often these days aligned with QAnon in some way. And you may be someone to whom it is obviously completely untrue and absurd, which is great. I'm proud of you for feeling that way. And but then I think what's also going on is hopefully we can look at these obvious fictions and try and figure out what are people expressing about what they're actually afraid of and how can we somehow use that information? Yeah, that's awesome. I think then my first question for you is what about those topics first interested you? Mm. Like you could talk about the satanic panic because I know in college that was something that really interested me. But Mm. what was it that you were like, oh, this is a trend that we should be talking about. Yeah. I mean, with the satanic panic, I was first drawn to it. I think I first knew it by name probably initially as something that just affected sales of heavy metal music. I remember watching (laughs) The Decline of Civilization Part Two: The Metal Years, which is a wonderful kind of tongue-in-cheek documentary about the metal scene in LA in the 80s. And there's, you know, youth counselors warning about how like the metal horns are really like devil horns. So I, I knew that there was a lot of that affecting kids' ability to get music in the 80s. And it wasn't until I saw the Paradise Lost, the documentary about the West Memphis Three when I was in grad school around 2013, I think, that I understood that, you know, to me, the satanic panic is many things, but it's maybe most tragic as a phenomenon in, in therapy and in the law. And where we had people being convicted of horrible crimes that there was no physical evidence of or physical evidence of that was later debunked as uh, junk science. And it astounded me that, you know, the legal system, which I had grown up by default respecting because I had a very privileged and sheltered life and I was able to believe that it basically functioned because it's nice to believe that the structures of governance in your society basically are working. That's the foundational myth of America, right? Right. Without kings, we can do it for us. And who's the us? Uh, Don't ask. (laughs) And now in retrospect, I feel like learning about the satanic panic was essentially a preamble to being in this world now where I think we all are very aware that like our country is maybe more vulnerable than we would have once imagined to just 
endless brazen lying and myth-making, I guess. And that was something that was much less obvious to me 10 years ago. And now it's like, well, look around us. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Would you mind just for our listeners who either like didn't live through the satanic panic or like don't know exactly what that is, whether they're like not from the US or they just haven't been educated in that, could you give them a little primer as to what it was? Yeah. So the satanic panic was a phenomenon that we started seeing in the United States in the early 80s. And essentially, it was it came out of something extremely positive and necessary, which was the realization that gripped America in the 1970s that child sexual abuse wasn't this extremely rare thing that had only happened to you. Um, it was something that happened to a lot of people and something that families often handled by never talking about it again or by treating it as something not particularly harmful. So we had this awakening that happened partly through the women's lib movement of people coming out of the shadows and sharing these stories of what had happened to them. And out of that understanding that there was an endemic problem that had been kept secret until now, I think that helped create for people the idea that if this had been a secret, then what else could be a secret? And this is also a period when prominent feminists are coupling ideologically with people on the right in order to do things like try to outlaw pornography. So out of this moment, we get a book published in 1980 called Michelle Remembers, which is co-written by a woman and her therapist who later got married about how he had apparently been able to regress her in order to produce childhood memories of being abused by the Satanists who her mother had sold her to. And this was a book that wasn't fact-checked. The <laughs> foreword essentially says, like, we know this is, like, really wild and that the Virgin Mary appears at the end and gets rid of all Michelle's scars. And that's why we can't see physical evidence of the Satanists sewing a tail and horns on her, like she said, and stuff like that. But Michelle remembers, and Michelle believes, so who are we to say? Okay, bye. And so I think it was a book published with the expectation that it would make money, and it did. And it was also used as training material for police officers and social workers in the United States. And it was people who had been trained using this book that first identified what was reported on in the press as satanic abuse at a daycare center in Southern California, the McMartin Preschool. And once that story appeared in the media and went to national media with, at the time, unsubstantiated and never to be substantiated claims of children being forced to kick a pony to death, I believe, and their nursery school teachers flying and things like that, things that you get by not knowing how to question a very small child and then questioning them coercively. After that, we started seeing it all around the country. This became, in a way, a meme. And I think one of the interesting things about memes is that they've always existed. They're how culture reproduces itself. Mm -hmm. Other people can articulate this much better than me. But basically, you know, this was also a time when women were having babies and then returning to the workforce in droves. And a lot of people didn't like that. And so one of the ways to effectively <laughs> terrorize women out of working is to say, like, every time a woman works, a child is abused by Satanists. So it really makes you think. Yeah. And so we had, a you know, a decade of specifically daycare cases because the center for the anxiety was the idea of leaving your children with qualified strangers as opposed to your child being taken care of by family members who at this point, we know that if a child is is sexually abused, and it's probably someone who is in their family or, or who they know and trust, someone who's in the community. And so it was a situation where a, there was a lot of cynicism and I think a lot of genuine fear and a lot of parents who wanted to do a good job 
and not have their children suffer the same trauma that they had or that you know the world hadn't cared about them suffering. And that was also adopted by the religious right and by the conservative movement. And we know that nothing good can come from that. And then, you know, there's the effect that it had on pop music. There's also the kinds of therapeutic techniques that took off. There's the effect that this had on adults seeking therapy. But yeah, I think for a long time, I used to say that the satanic panic didn't really end. It just sort of went into hibernation. And now I say that it wasn't hibernation. It was just taking a nice nap. And now it's back. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, for sure. My, like, I guess, personal experience with the satanic panic, which is not really personal experience, but my, like, mentor in college was actually a religious studies professor. And she had been recruited by the U.S. government to act as a consultant for when they thought there was, like, satanic animal ritualistic sacrifice right and she would just be brought in and she would be like again guys that's not really a thing you guys keep calling me it's not a thing but did they like pay her well and put her in a nice hotel i hope oh yeah yeah she she lived good so she's like after another (laughs) continental breakfast i must tell you that this appears to be the action of maggots once again it's always maggots once again It's not Satanism, just letting you guys know. I'm sure you've covered this before, but I do love the fact that in the 70s, we like pre-Satanic panic, although these things connect somewhere in the back, is like we had this panic about UFOs abducting Mm -hmm. cattle and mutilating cattle. This was a whole thing. And the story behind it is fascinating. But the phrase you always see is surgical precision. And it turns out that maggots can debride flesh with surgical precision. So that's a fun fact to have in your pocket. (laughs) (laughs) That's why they're a surgical instrument sometimes and a legitimate medical thing. The clue is in the description. (laughs) (laughs) All these maggots that are like, yes, I am a tiny surgeon and you've underrested me again. Yeah. Incredible. (laughs) I've been doing this for millennia. Millennia. Yeah. Now I'm just picturing people discovering like fossilized ant colonies or something or or beehives and being like with architectural accuracy, <laughs> uh, you know, some some unknown force has made hallways and rooms for these creatures. Yeah. It's like, uh, yeah, ants and bees. Yeah. I mean, it's like that incredibly racist claim like, oh, well, you know, ancient peoples couldn't have possibly built these structures the way that they are. And we're like, guys, come on. Come on. It's not aliens. We know it's not aliens. It was ramps and pulleys. <laughs> we we knew what math was. We just, ugh, gosh. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> Sarah, you're often in a position to introduce the concept of the satanic panic or sort of be its mouthpiece or its like flight attendant being like, this is, this is what <laughs> it is and was. This might be a little bit meta, but like, how do people react to that? For people who lived through it, like, I don't know, what, what are some of the reactions that you get? Like, is this something you expected happening to you in your career? Sort of how is like the, the meta experience of becoming like satanic panic person, you know, who can describe this and, and give it words? Mm-hmm. What's that been like? I feel very humbled by it because it it just goes to show that, like, you can just care about something a lot and talk about it a lot on the Internet and that will give you qualifications. And like, you know, yes, I have degrees and I studied kind of how to be a student of history and blah, blah, blah. But at the end of the day, I think I just have to be very humble about the fact that I'm just a person who's thought about this more than a lot of other people. But that's really what I have going for me, you know, and people are going to have perspective that allows them to understand this in ways that I never will. And I think, yeah, what I can 
best offer is kind of where to start thinking about it. And it's also been really great to just to come in touch with people whose lives were affected by the satanic panic over the years and who were like, I just realized, ironically, that this also wasn't a thing that just happened in my life. This was happening across the country and across the world in many respects. And I was part of a bigger phenomenon. And yeah, I just I feel really happy and lucky about being able to have this job. And also, I think there's always going to be irony in the fact that like, one of the dangers of discourse online today is that people can just like appoint themselves experts and say a bunch of stuff, you know, so like I have to remember to not not do that exactly while also kind of doing that. It's weird. <laughs> <laughs> I know that feeling. <laughs> so we're talking about like moral panic and we're talking about like kind of the universality of that. Mm. And one of the things that we often talk about on this show is we talk about the like universal feelings that some urban legends have. Mm. Like everyone has like the one bridge that if you park under it, something moves your car or leaves a mark on your car. Mm -hmm. There's always like some sort of haunted train is a very popular one. There's the uh, the phantom hitchhiker you can find all across the United States mm -hmm. and in other parts of the world. So I'm curious, mm -hmm. what were the urban legends that you grew up with? Ooh, I feel like I grew up with urban legends in a relatively meta way because I was obsessed with Snopes and also the straight dope starting in probably ninth grade. So unfortunately, I heard a lot of these first like as they were being debunked. Mm -hmm. But I did hear one. This is really gross. Like if you don't like bugs or cockroaches, just like skip ahead. <laughs> but this scared the shit out of me when I was probably like 10. <laughs> This girl I knew, who was my friend's older sister, which is probably where kids tend to hear a lot of these things, Yes, told a story about someone who was licking envelopes, right? And she got a paper cut on her tongue, and there was a cockroach egg on the envelope adhesive. And so an entire cockroach grew to maturity inside of her tongue. And I think that's still the grossest thing I've ever heard. It's really bad. Yeah. <laughs> I feel like I've definitely heard that one before. I haven't heard the like, I like that this sister brought it to the next level because I've heard of the cockroach eggs on the envelopes, but I'd never heard of the paper cut and then it growing to full right? size. And that is beautiful and terrifying. <laughs> it's so bad. It's not as bad as the famous like the night gallery earwig thing because like you're going to live and everything, but at what cost? Mhm. Mm mhm. Mm yeah. At what cost? <laughs> For the rest of your life, your tongue's going to taste like cockroach. Yeah. Oh. And I my family, we lived in an area where there were a lot of roaches and it was funny cuz I wasn't afraid of bugs as a kid, but my mom had such an abject horror of cockroaches that I started feeling that way as well and I think I'm I love that segment in Creep Show. Have you guys seen that movie? The um mm -hmm. yeah, where the first one with E.G. Marshall who gets It's a cockroach story, you guys, and I think that one is like retroactive therapy for me against that story. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. In Julia's and my childhood library, we had a bunch of uh, scary story anthologies, one of which involved like a woman, I think with a beehive hair do, right? With like mm -hmm. bees that came out of it. And I was always fascinated and, and, and loved bees a lot. So mm -hmm. I was like, that sounds great. I'd love to have a colony of bees ready to like do my bidding and defend me from bullies. Like, love that. Yeah. That was one of the uh, scary stories to tell in the dark books, I think. Yeah. And I remember the one where she has like some sort of like 
zit or something growing out yeah. of her face and it ends up being like a spider sack egg yes and they all like crawl out of her and the art is horrifying i'm sure you can find it online but it's truly truly awful i think that's like this is one of the great scary stories because like i know the cockroach story isn't real but like what is being a human but just every day waking up and trying to avoid bugs living inside you yeah 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 and like you learn at a young age those like quote unquote facts i don't know how true they are it's like you swallow seven spiders every year in your sleep and i'm just right. like what happens to that spider is it like yeah. the the watermelon seed that can grow into a full <laughs> watermelon inside your stomach is that spider just laying eggs inside my stomach now i don't know i'm eight right yeah you're just like at what point will i become more spiders than person it could happen <laughs> It could. It could. I think that's one of the, like, in my adulthood, I now kind of view those as partly about, like, I don't know, the decentering of the self, like mm. seeing us as a vehicle for another creature or colony that, like, we are the log on which the mushrooms grow, you know, like we yeah. are just the vessel for these other things happening. And maybe, you know, as my own death becomes closer and closer and more and more imminent and real, that's a thing that in turn kind of freaks me out and also makes me feel a part of, like, the great sort of biological, uh, I don't know, like interconnected system. As a kid, I was just like, ew, spiders, gross. But why is that a thing that sticks around? It's so interesting to me. Yeah, I think it's interesting. And I I kind of want to pull it back to your story, Sarah, mm. because a lot of times urban legends and stuff, they're playing on something that is concerning to society in that mm. moment, right? And so I imagine probably when that story was happening, this idea of like things in our everyday life being somehow corrupted mm -hmm. or interfered with or something like that. So like licking an envelope becomes dangerous because, oh, it's laced with cyanide mm -hmm. or there's bugs growing on it or something like that. And media during the 70s and 80s and 90s very much played into those fears. And mm -hmm. I feel like a lot of urban legends from those times twist those stories around into something that is a game of telephone, basically. That also makes me wonder, because if I heard this when I was 10 or 11, that had to have been relatively close to when that Seinfeld episode came out where Susan dies because George bought the cheap envelopes. <laughs> so yep. it's like, <laughs> yep. it's, so it's interesting. Yeah, it, it does feel very late 90s to have these stories where essentially the envelope is the problem. And yeah, that like reasonable fear about mass produced consumer goods. I mean, that's I think that's also why, like, obviously, the razor blade in the Apple story is the bane of my existence. And we did an episode years ago <laughs> debunking that and people keep asking for an episode about it, even though we already did one. So clearly there's a need. But I totally get how like, I mean, the, the graphic for American hysteria actually depicts this. So it's a great image because like the razor blade in the Apple just like lodges in your brain forever. Like you just it, it affects everything every apple. <laughs> yeah. Mm -hmm. It's now a fear that every time you see an apple and you bite into it, there is that potential for the razor blade in there. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I wonder what other aspects of life you know, we were realizing at that time were filled with horrors. Things like, you know, the ozone, you know, nonstick coating on materials right. like pollution. It was like just constant revelations of, you know, oh, this thing that we thought was regular was fucked up. Oh, this thing I bought for my kids is actually dangerous. Oh, this, right. you know, um, this activity that I did as a child, my children, you know, might get kidnapped, get a candy and a stranger, you know, put something in it. Maybe that's one of the areas where like so many parts of humanity, you 
you know, the things we can't really fix fester until Mm -hmm. we find small things that we can control. Hmm. And so it becomes like, you know, cut every apple or only give out packaged, you know, candy on Halloween. And I don't have to think about the fact that, you know, I'm not really sure what's a carcinogen and maybe I'll never know until it's too late. Oh, my God. At this point, I just assume that everything is. And like, I'm not going to tempt fate in obvious ways while most not obvious ways. Yes. But yeah, it's funny, too, because I feel like like I was reading the other night as good old fashioned dread fodder. This was inspired by a Reddit post I saw about this guy who was a golfer in, I think, the 1920s and 30s named Ebenezer McBurney Byers. And he what a, well, name. What a name. And I love it. And he I'll name my next cat that. <laughs> and he injured his arm in a train accident. And so someone I don't think actually a doctor, but somebody was like, oh, you should try this uranium patent medicine. It's great. And so he really liked it. And so he took a lot of it. And then obviously, like, you know, his jaw just fell right out of his face because that's what happens. I wonder if we're in this moment of like consumer goods being maybe less dangerous than they've ever been, but our awareness of how much we've been poisoned being Mm -hmm. also greater than it's ever been. Which is good, yeah. but like you look back and you're like, why should I trust anyone? It's a really good question. Truly. It is. I was like trying to Google it while while we were talking, but I can't remember the exact story. But it was like sometime in the, I want to say late 80s, early 90s, where there was an, not an epidemic, but like covered in the news, someone had been going into like CVS's or some sort of drugstore and like putting poison in aspirin bottles or something like that. And again, it's, it's this idea of an everyday item that we use all the time is now suddenly dangerous. Right. And how could we have possibly known or prevented? Is that the Tylenol murders? Yes, the mm-hmm. Tylenol murders. That was it. Thank you. And that one is creepy because as far as I know, we never figured it out. We just don't know. And like, yeah, yeah, like that had to have been such a before and after moment for people. Yeah. And I think that a lot of the like urban legends that we see about like everyday items hurting us or being poisonous or being wrong in some way might have come from those moments and that unknown now, like this thing that's promised to me to be safe might not actually be safe. Yeah. Yeah. Which is the agreement that you kind of live every day. Like I'm, you know, I'm drinking a seltzer. I didn't make it. It's in a can. I'm like, I have no, I can't see what's in here as I'm drinking it. Like it's an incredible amount of trust. I mean, that's why we have the safety seals on bottles like that now. And even like stuff like dressings and olive oils and whatnot. And it's like, we couldn't make that promise to you before. We messed up, I guess, because someone took advantage of that. Now we have to come up with a new system or a new solution to make it work. Yeah. Yeah. It reminds me of um, airport security theater. Um, Mm. You know, if I cannot bring a large shampoo on this plane, then surely I'll never be killed in a terrorist attack. And I think your point, Sarah, is really well well taken that, you know, we we know more than ever before. Life is safer than ever before. And yet it feels the exact opposite. Mm. Because for for most of us, you know, we have access to like an unfathomable amount of information. We've done a little bit um, on the show talking about internet urban legends, mm. creepypastas, um, Reddit, you know, myths that kind of originate and spread on social media. And it makes me so curious what, you know, kids will be telling each other at sleepovers if 
if I have the good fortune to make it to old age, you know, and like, will they be talking about Bloody Mary in the mirror? Will they be talking about Ouija boards? What is the boogeyman? And how will they kind of, I don't know, get that sense of courting disaster in a safe way Yeah, with one another, you know? I really hope Bloody Mary never goes away or I guess that she like her name changes occasionally, but she's always with because I remember doing Bloody Mary in sixth grade and it was like probably one of the best moments of my entire middle school experience. It might have been yeah. the best because it, we, we all went into the bathroom. You have to turn off the lights, obviously. And then you're like chanting Bloody Mary into a mirror. And then obviously, if you have a group of middle school girls together, like one of them will get freaked out and start screaming. Yeah. And then you'll all get freaked out and start screaming. And then you're just like a bunch of 11 year olds screaming together in the dark, which is really what all of this has been about. <laughs> and it's just perfect. <laughs> Yeah, that is true. It, I mean, there is something I don't know, like my my brain always flashes back to does some part of my body recognize this as, you know, being in the in the like palpable heat of other humans hmm. in a cave, right? Mm. With like something scary outdoors. And some part of me feels right and safe yeah. to be on the inside and not the outside. And I think we can all identify as a uh, weird kids, uh, <laughs> you know, formerly or presently. And particularly, I think as a weird kid, it, it felt really good to be the person watching someone else do the like crack an egg down your neck, you know, thing <laughs> to be like, yes, like I am, I am in it. I know it. I am, I am right. in, in group. I am not the one being pranked. Yeah. And also just the sense of safety. I forget who wrote this, but there's a, a wonderful quote about how reading, I think true crime specifically, can feel like if it feels alien to your own life, which I think is the way that a lot of it has been sold over time, can feel like sitting in like a cozy window seat as the rain falls outside and like it is outside mm -hmm. and you are inside and like the coziness and safety of your situation is enhanced by that. But I, I like this metaphor a lot better where it's like not only are you safe, but also you're not alone, like you're enfolded within the safe part of society, like you're not out there where the scary things happen. And, you know, and the reality is that a lot of the scary things are just happening in the cave. But like, mm -hmm. but I think we still need these moments of comfort, even if we can know that. Yeah, absolutely. I'm just like picturing now that moment uh, where we're going to all go into the bathroom at the sleepover. <laughs> and I want to do that while we go grab our refill. <laughs> okay. Hello, everybody. Welcome to The Refill. I know we really tried to hold it together while interviewing Sarah Marshall, but holy shit, we interviewed Sarah Marshall. Can you believe it? I have been loving her podcast and analysis for years. I caught up on the backlog of so many of her podcasts during the early days of lockdown. Uh, I was so excited. Okay, keep it together. Welcome to our newest patrons, Maddie, Kelsey, Mandy, and Evil Evil, spelled two different ways. Thank you so much for your support. You join the ranks of supporting producer-level patrons Alicia Ann, Brittany, Daisy, Fruity Chick, Hannah, Jack Marie, Jane, Jessica Kinzer, Jessica Stewart, Nieselkins, Lily, Little Vomit Spiders Running Around, Megan Moon, Phil Fresh, Rico Like, Captain Jonathan, Malachi, Cosmos, Sarah, Scott, and Zazie, and our legend-level patrons Ariana, Audra, Bex, Chibi Yokai, Clara, Iron Havoc, Morgan, Mother of Vikings, Sarah, Schmitty and BMF Scotty. Thank you all so much. Thank you to everybody who has joined our Patreon this month. We so appreciate it. And hey, psst, come here. 
we got some exciting new stuff coming to the Patreon in September. I'm very excited about it. We're going to tell you much more about it as we approach. Oh, I wonder if there's any milestones coming up for us. Maybe, I don't know, a round number. Maybe um, slightly fewer episodes than there are days in a year. Uh, I have to think of more things that 300. Oh, like the movie. That was 300, right? Oh, we're so excited. Lots of good stuff is coming. Get on over. Patreon.com slash spirits podcast. And as you know, every single episode, we take some time to recommend something to you that we are loving, That's something that we're reading, watching, listening to. I saw Nope Outdoors at a drive-in movie theater a few weeks ago. I really enjoyed it. Almost, I think, equally the movie and the experience of sitting in a lawn chair in a parking lot on the East River watching a movie outdoors. It was really awesome. And if you have a drive-in movie theater near you, I highly recommend it. It's a good experience. But the specific thing that you all can enjoy is a book I have been loving called The Bodyguard by Catherine Center. I love a romance. We all know this. And there is nothing I love more than a trope where there is a kind of enemies to lovers, maybe where they have to be in proximity to each other, even though they don't want to. And this particular one is a trope that I've never read before, but I really enjoy, which is a bodyguard falling in love with the person they are guarding. This is really good and smart. It's got a little bit of action to it. It's a really great introduction to romance and to rom-coms for anyone who hasn't read them. The Bodyguard by Catherine Center. That book is linked in the description as well as at spiritspodcast.com slash books, where you can, one, see a list of all of the books that we've recommended and our guests have written over the years of doing this podcast. It's a lot, folks. And also buy a copy of the book shipped to wherever you are via bookshop.org, which, of course, is a co-op supporting indie bookstores in the U.S. It's amazing. If you've run out of stuff to uh, to read and to listen to and you want to check out another show here in the Multitude Collective, you gotta check out Horse. It's a podcast all about the ridiculous stories, internet drama, and huge personalities out there in the world of basketball. And something I really appreciate that they do is cover the WNBA. There is a ton of stuff happening with women's sports out there and specifically women's basketball. And this, unlike other basketball podcasts, isn't just focused on the NBA because some of the the most badass players and best political leaders and coolest shoes in basketball are happening in the women's league. So check it out. Look up Horse in your podcast app or go to horsehoops.com. We are sponsored this week by Calm. And something that the Calm app has really helped me do is one, try to sort of get my mind on stuff that has nothing to do with my day and my worries right before I fall asleep. I put on Calm's sleep stories because I'm going to be honest, guys, I find meditating really hard. <laughs> I don't like being alone with my own thoughts. My brain isn't very good at being quiet. And so having something in my brain that is not like an informational podcast, right, or an audiobook, something where I really want to listen to the plot, that's kind of like a struggle for me. And so I enjoy rotating through some of my favorite sleep stories on Calm because I know what happens in them and I enjoy listening to them, but they do a really good job of making it just interesting enough to make my brain quiet down, but not so sort of plot dense that I can't fall asleep. It's really, really helpful. For listeners of the show, Calm is offering an exclusive offer of 40% off a Calm premium subscription at calm.com slash spirits. Go to calm.com slash spirits for 40% off unlimited access to Calm's entire library. That's calm.com slash spirits. 
We are also sponsored this week by Brooklinen. And folks, I'm recording this in advance, and Julia's going to the mid-roll next week because I am taking some time off, and I'm very excited about it. And I'm going to be seeing my siblings. I'm going to be visiting my grandma. I'm going to a friend's wedding. I'm going to be sleeping in four different places over the course of a week. And you know what I'm doing, right? I'm bringing my duvet with my Brooklinen duvet cover and my pillow with my Brooklinen pillowcase to all of these places. I am bringing it with me because I love them so much. I am obsessed with it. I love the fact that I can get cozy but not sweaty in my duvet and that buttery soft. Man, I can't fall asleep on just cotton after this. It's truly a part of my plan. I planned the size of car that we are renting in part to have my duvet in the back. I love it so much. And Brooklinen is asking you to head over to Brooklinen today to keep your cool at home and on the go all summer long. Go to brooklinen.com and use promo code SPIRITS to get $20 off plus free shipping on your purchase of $100 or more. That's B-R-O-O-K-L-I-N-E-N.com and enter promo code SPIRITS for $20 off plus free shipping. And by the way, to those of you listening in New York, you can see and feel the comfort in real life if you're like, oh man, this sounds great, but like, what does it feel like? You can now shop Brooklyn and Sheets towels and more in store in both Williamsburg and the West Village. The Williamsburg one is like half a mile from the studio. Give us a little wave. And finally, now a word from our sponsor, BetterHelp. There are lots of ways that I like to take care of my mind. I make sure that I stretch each morning. I do an affirmation. I say a nice thing to myself in the mirror. I feel like a dork, but it really does help. Uh, I make sure I see the sun on my face at least once during the day. Uh, Lots of stuff I try to like notice or tend to or water a plant. But one of the bedrocks of my self-care routine is therapy. It is a way that I make sure I'm checking in with not just what's going well in my life, but also what's challenging. So I don't don't sort of let myself like push it down and push it away and say, oh, no, that's not important until it becomes a problem. I have a standing place in my week and in my life where I talk about the stuff that's going on good and bad. And I have really appreciated using BetterHelp to access my therapy because finding an in-person therapist that works for me and that was seeing new patients and that worked during COVID was all so frustrating. And with BetterHelp, I know that I can schedule appointments really easily. I can message my therapist anytime. I can even reach out if I wasn't really jiving with my therapist and get a new one for free. So you should check out BetterHelp too. They do online therapy with video phone or live chat only therapy sessions if you aren't able or don't want to talk to somebody or see someone on camera. And it's much more affordable than in-person therapy. So if cost and availability and the place you live are some of the things holding you back from giving therapy a try, BetterHelp can be a really good start. Our listeners get 10% off their first month at betterhelp.com spirits. That's betterhelp.com spirits. Now let's get back to the show. All right. And we're back. Sarah, we always ask our guests here, and if we're continuing our sleepover metaphor, what is the cocktail that you would bring to our adult sleepover that's Ooh. happening right now? Well, you know, I think I would actually, I would get fancy and try and make Pisco sours. Ooh. So I think that involves egg white, but I think we deserve like, yeah, I don't know, something green, like any kind of a green drink feels fitting. Mm-hmm. I haven't had one in years, so I think I'm probably, maybe I'm realizing that it's time again. But yeah, I just like green and tart feels very right for for a myth sleepover. Yeah. And peak summertime cocktail, which yeah. I appreciate because you want something that's like light and frothy and green and tart to kind of counteract how sweaty it is outside. Yeah. And the froth yeah. also helps. So you could really... You can get a little cauldron and serve them out mm-hmm. of. Yeah. All my drinks should be served out of cauldron. 
I'll make us brownies with the egg yolks left over yeah. from the Pisco Sour egg whites, and we're rocking and rolling. There you go. There you go. Well, thank you, Amanda, for that. <laughs> so we were talking before about, like, the panics and the hysteria mm-hmm. of, like, let's say the 80s and the 90s. But definitely now we also, in the current day, face a lot of panic and hysteria over a vast number of things. This is probably going to be a very wide question for you, but like, is there one that either interests you the most or concerns you the most? Oh, my God. I mean, do you ever watch one of those blackhead removal videos where like it's all one big blackhead? It feels like that. <laughs> yeah. 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 Is is the blackhead anti-Semitism? <laughs> is, is that what the blackhead is? I think it's like a big part of the blackhead is anti-Semitism. And then also yeah. just I think the first thing that comes to mind for me now and that feels again, like not like a separate panic, but just sort of like building on the past couple of years of overt QAnon stuff and kind of Trump centric, but certainly not Trump inspired moral panic is, you know, the current rhetoric over grooming and groomers and essentially, you know, legislation being passed that is masquerading as being against sex ed. And really, it's not about that at all. And is about the idea of, from my understanding, the idea that if your child is exposed to ideas about sexuality or gender identity at school, then like, that's bad. And they're being groomed. And anyone who is potentially in a position to help your child understand their identity in a way you don't like is grooming them. And so I think like that's scary for obviously a lot of reasons. But one of them is that we're just like it's just so overt about just directly accusing anyone you disagree with of being an actual pedophile. And it seems really bad. Can't really get away from that one. <laughs> yeah. No. And that's like a cycle, too. Like, we're seeing the same rhetoric that was used in, again, the 80s and 90s -hmm. to talk about, like, queer folks being recycled. And that's extremely fucked up because I feel like, at least for a lot of people, we had hoped we had moved on from those talking points, for lack of a better word. Right. It feels also directly like it exists directly to cause harm to the very children that it's claiming to protect, which I think is also probably key to a lot of what we're looking at lately is that it's 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 always claiming to be about the child. And really, I think in this case and a lot of other cases, it's about the parent's belief that they get to own their child and decide who they're going to be and what kind of life they're going to have, which I would describe as abuse. Mm, yeah. And, you know, protecting the ideology that that's what parenthood is, which I think is also, you know, at the heart of all this and very dangerous. Yeah. The child is a cipher, right? Is like a placeholder for innocence or possibility or what's going to be available to them in life that was not available to you. And that is setting everything up for, you know, it's like the, the highest possible stakes and the absolute least possible help. Uh, You know, like nobody is saying, what do you need? What will give you more options? What will give you more tools? What will let you, you know, self-actualize and go into the world to make decisions and deal with problems that I can't possibly imagine? How do I kind of retroactively process my own stuff (laughs) upon the like image of you? Yeah. As a queer person who didn't get a lot of like sexual ed regarding like queer relationships or queer identity, I still figured out I was queer. It didn't really matter. How did you do that, though? How without a teacher, like, telling you to be queer did you manage that? (laughs) Just kind of happened, I guess. It's weird. It's all those Disney movies. I mean, this, like, it... (laughs) It, like, will... I'm sure we've, like, been going in this circle forever, but it does feel like, you know, the implicit argument there is, like, 
my child's sense of identity is so present within them that if they hear even one time about this thing that might resonate with them, Mm. then they will be that. It feels like that's the actual anxiety as opposed to, you know, my children are being browbeaten into being non-binary or whatever. Yeah. People are claiming that they think. It's like, I don't know. I feel like a key in, in a lot of these these things, too, is that, like, people are telling you what they know to be true but can't accept. Exactly. It it really feels... I, I'm a huge advice column consumer, and... I don't know why, for whatever reason, like that is my true crime. (laughs) That is like the level of kind of conflict that I can handle. And hearing people with very soothing voices written or spoken sort of give you the steps you need to deal with the problem in your life is just like that is the that is the thing that relaxes me beyond all else. Mm. And reading Urban Legends. And it reminds me very much of problems where clearly like it's not about the fight you had with your partner on vacation. It's not about like unloading the dishwasher as like the one thing standing between you and bliss in your relationship like it is it is the straw that broke camel's back it's like the one spark that caught fire it's the it's the the thing that we've decided if we could only just fix this thing then everything's fine probably means that everything's not fine and that it it shouldn't be and that there is something else to address here and that is the version of like oh you know if if a kid like sees a woman with short hair then they'll realize they're trans like mm, probably probably something else is going to do that like probably it's not that we should sort of legislate gender expression it's uh hey like what what do you need what will make your life easier like listen to trans people listen to queer people like we we know what we need like we will tell you yeah nothing any of us don't agree with but it just (laughs) it it seems it seems so clear to me yeah i don't know yeah bears repeating yeah it really does and i think that there is a lot of urban legends that are coming out of this kind of I guess panic is the right word for it. Mm. I I don't know what else to call it. And if you have a better word for it, please let me know. Around like gender identity and and queerness and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. And I know recently one of the bigger stories that I've been seeing is around like furries in schools. Oh my God. I know. How did that, how did we get there? (laughs) How did we get there? Why must we slander furries? I know. And it's so thinly veiled as a like transphobic thing. Yeah. You're just like, must we go there? Must we go there right now? I mean, like I have no specific hopes for what kind of child I end up with. Like I do think that it would be nice to like if I have any if I lean in any direction, it's that I would like to have one of those like spooky horror movie kids. Yeah. Like the little boy in the ring. Because mm-hmm. they seem really low maintenance. <laughs> <laughs> They just wander in the woods all day and then they come back with like weird drawings. They're fine. And they have weird friends, little ghost girls who talk to them, but they dress themselves and they lay out your outfit. (laughs) But if I had a furry kid, like, oh, my God, I would be so happy. Like if your child knows what they're into, then that means they know what they're into, which means that they're ahead of probably you and most other people. (laughs) Yeah. That is true. The only thing we'd have to talk about is like fursuits are expensive. So we have to yes. come up with like a, a cost efficient way of you expressing that. Yeah. <laughs> Julia, that's great. You have a clear goal. Let's let's teach you, you know, delayed gratification and, and how exciting it is to like put a little bit aside each week for a goal. Like love that for you. Yeah. Or sewing. Time to learn how to sew, kid. <laughs> yeah. Like if I had a kid who's a drag queen, I'd be like, my life has prepared me to be an excellent parent for you. Like let's obviously, of course, I'd probably then just end up with a like very like normie kid who who loves like sports and being straight. And I'm just like, 
love this for you also. Yeah. Uh, you know, if you have any weird friends who, uh, you know, are very into Broadway, I can be the fun parent and make sure that they sort of, I like slip them a Mel Brooks uh, soundtrack. Like I'll, I'll oh, yeah. slip them a copy of uh, of Rent and be like, you know, does this unlock something in you? You can talk to me. <laughs> it is funny thinking about like, like, yeah, as a parent sort of figuring out what ages to sort of start your kid on or like offer to them the things that you liked and the hopes like my mom introduced me to Joni Mitchell in eighth grade and in retrospect I think mm. that was very calculated <laughs> <laughs> she was like this is the perfect time that it will consume your little soul yeah go for it it was <laughs> <laughs> oh now I'm just thinking about creepy kids and right. <laughs> all of the like urban legends and stories about them creepy kids are like one of our favorite things on this podcast because I am of the firm belief that during at least some period of time all children are creepy oh my god they're they're all creepy that's just their thing <laughs> Yes. And a lot of it has to do with like, hey, listen, I know you don't know what like social cues are just yet. So when you say stuff to me like, oh, yeah, you know, I remember when I was an old man when I lived in that house and they just point out a random house and you're like, what are you talking? Explain to me what you're saying here. I need to know. I need context. Yeah. And like any kid can be psychic or have a past life or have gone to heaven if the adults around them believe it, I think. And this reminds me of I love the um, Jezebel scary story contest every Halloween, partly because Mm -hmm. I love scary stories and I'm also... I guess it's like the Hen was it Henry James or William James? I'm gonna think it was William James. One of the James dudes was like a big paranormal investigator and his thing was like we don't need to prove that there's a bunch of white crows. We guess if we to disprove that all crows are black, we just need one white crow. I guess want one ghost story that I can believe and I'm always looking for one. And because of that, I'm ruthless about the ones I find less than credible. So my rule is that if if you're going to tell me a ghost story, you need to have been awake the entire time. I don't want to hear a ghost story where you woke <laughs> up in the middle of the night and there was a ghost okay. and then you went back to sleep because you were dreaming. Yeah, brains are brains are so weird. Brains can do lots of things. Right. So I, I like that rule. But there's one in there that I love that was like, I have a creepy little toddler And one time she said, when I was a little girl, I died in the pool. And my first thought was like, was she trying to say dived? And also, when you're four, don't you think you were a little girl when you were three? That's my theory. (laughs) That's good. No, that's fair. That's totally fair. My version of that is like, if I would make that mistake conjugating verbs in French, probably (laughs) it's because verbs are hard. (laughs) Or like imagination, like an imaginative play is is really fun. Mm -hmm. Right. Well, and this directly connects to the satanic panic, just like everything in the entire world. Because, you know, one of the reasons we ended up with these just bonkers stories from initial questioning of kids in nursery school, three, two, three and four year olds, is that, you know, there's tape of, of quite a lot of this. And you can see that they are kind of moving around into imaginative play and then they will say something that the questioner is like okay that could be a crime let's get literal now we're going to talk about this as something that literally happened and i'm going to question you as if you're on the stand and it's weird too because adults just imagine stuff all the time as well so the fact that we don't sort of like maybe we're not in touch with the fact that that's true about ourselves when we Mm. don't give kids the freedom to be imaginative about stuff I think also just like children in general don't have the language to express this thing that I imagined versus a thing that actually happened to me. Yeah. And that's where it becomes very creepy for a parent or an adult in their life because they'll be like, 
there was a man in my closet. And you're like, was there an actual man in your closet? Or did you imagine a man in your closet? Like, we need to know this because this is concerning if it's the other one. (laughs) This exact confusion is one of the major plot points in Saw, and it's great. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, gosh. Yeah, but all children are creepy because we don't really remember what it's like to be a child. Mm -hmm. I think that's part of it, too. No, we don't. And everything is new. Like my my partner Eric and I will will be walking around, and like if we ever see a baby that looks particularly like adrift or confused, <laughs> one of us will just like lean over and be like, "What's happening? Where am I? Why? Why am I here?" Like everything is new and it just it it puts it all in perspective like everything is new you're figuring it out like i remember teaching my younger siblings the colors and like that happened that's true for every person in the world and it's just it is so amazing like julie and i were talking the other day about how both of us as bookish children you know i just turned 30 like i am constantly noticing myself saying words that i've only ever read but never said out loud Mm. and i've said millions of words in my lifetime and i've been alive for you know hundreds of thousands of of hours and yet i am still for the first time like saying a word that i've only ever read and the like newness and vastness of human experience is something that i am constantly still wrapping my brain around see amanda you say that about the babies And my immediate thought was you were going to say that baby sees all the ghosts, (laughs) which I've started doing with my friend's babies, where if that baby just stares past me, I'm like, oh, is there a ghost there? And my friends are like, please stop saying that. It's extremely creepy. (laughs) I love that. Well, I mean, cats can see ghosts as well. So why not? Exactly. Exactly. If cats can see ghosts, babies can see ghosts. I stand by this. They have a lot in common. (laughs) This is the hill that I'm going to die on. (laughs) Cats and babies seeing all the ghosts. Dogs are just happy to be here, man. It's great. Dogs are just happy to be here. And I'm happy that they're here. Sarah, was there anything you wanted to make sure that you like brought up or touched on um, that we have not asked you about? Hmm. Open Water 2 Adrift is a really underrated horror movie. That's it. <laughs> <laughs> Love it. All open water movies. Very scary. Yes. Not a big fan of those. Yeah. I like the ocean. I don't want to be afraid of the ocean. Yeah. I just, you know, I think the trick is to stay at the very edge of it. Yeah. Yes. That's fair. We are from a beach town on Long Island, New York, and uh, there's just a lot in there. Don't go deeper. (laughs) That's what lighthouses are for. That also (laughs) reminds me of a book that I read when I was a kid. I I really liked the So You Want to Be a Wizard books by Diane Duane when I was a tween. Oh, my God. Me, too. They're my whole personality, Sarah. My whole personality. People either have never heard of them and they're like, (gasps) and wasn't the second her I think the second book, but wasn't that in Long Island Sound, deep wizardry? They had to do like under the ocean magic. Yes, it was. Yeah, those are good books. I found those in a basement library in like the quaint small town where my grandparents lived over a summer where I was there and like talked to nobody and just like walked to the library every day. I'm still not certain that I didn't sort of fall into the book because the opening scenes of the book are very similar. And I was sitting there like, what's happening to me? Yes. It was amazing. Oh, you were a baby in that moment. Yes, exactly. Yes. (laughs) Yeah. No, I think you did. I think that is, I don't know, there was, and especially reading it in the age of Harry Potter, there's something like the, if you haven't read these books, there's a lot in them about entropy. (laughs) Mm -hmm. That's true. It's really more like Madeline. I've always said Langle. This is the first time I'm ever saying her name out loud. Fuck, it happened. No, I summoned it. I've always said Langle. I mean, what are, you, are we in okay. France? Are you going to say Langle? Langle. 
<laughs> no, I'm going to be like a British person and say, I want a crossant, please. <laughs> yes, no, not a line. It's, it's, way, it's way more kind of like the metaphysics of space and time than, uh, you know, like boarding school, you know, novel. A quarter of these kids are evil. <laughs> yes. Sarah, my final question for you is, I mm-hmm. wonder if you could weigh in on a longstanding uh, debate we have on, on the podcast. Let's say you do wake up in the middle of the night or mm-hmm. you're, you know, cozily studying at your desk and uh, you hear a mysterious noise somewhere mm-hmm. in the house. Mm-hmm. Are you team got to get up and investigate or are you team ignorance? Mm-hmm. Let's let it go. If it's dangerous, it'll find me. Hmm. And if I ignore it, maybe it'll stop. Hmm. Hmm. This is a really good question. I feel like if it actually creeps me out, I'm going to try to ignore it and like sit there and rationalize it. But if it's something really loud, I'm going to go to investigate because I'll assume that like a piece of furniture has fallen over or that or that a cat has done something. That's the thing (laughs) with cats. You just are like, well, this is the cat. But I think it's like if it were something that I found genuinely creepy I would be less inclined to go look, which I think is a bad instinct in a horror movie. But the majority of our audience shares your instincts. Oh, good. Okay. <laughs> yes, we're our audience is pretty evenly split on team ignorance or team go check it out. That's so we always appreciate some insight. I'm gonna yeah. postulate a secondary option there for you, mm. which Amanda gave you just creepy noise in general. Yeah, I'm going to give you the option of. Creepy music. Mm. Whispers. Whispers. Footsteps. (sighs) Okay. Hmm. I guess if any of that happened, yeah, I would like come charging out to see what was going on. Because again, I want to eliminate like, yeah, did a cat turn the TV on? Do I have an Alexa that I forgot about? You know, Mm. what? like, yeah. If it's humanoid, then yeah, I need to I need to learn about that. Yeah, I know. I, I, I want to know. I'd rather look at my death face to face than like sit in my room wondering if there is a stranger in my home. Yeah. Right. And like my my anxiety is worst case scenario brain anxiety. Exactly. So I'd rather confirm like, hey, nothing's wrong. Right. Because my brain is going to make it so much worse yeah. if I don't. I'd be like, amazing. A carbon monoxide leak. I know what to do with that. Yeah. You know, versus like whatever my brain can conjure up. I guess also like. If it seems like a living person, I'm going to want to, like, confront that. But if it seems like a ghost or if I'm telling myself it's a ghost, then, like, I guess I also have, like, a don't bother ghosts policy. Like, I think yes, if I were to have ghosts, I would simply deal with it. <laughs> yeah. 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 No, after after six years of doing the show, I feel very much the same where Argos real. Who can say I'm, I'm desperately looking for uh, I, I'd love to believe it. But, you know. Will I sort of like greet a new home or whisper an apology if I heard it? Absolutely, I will. Mm-hmm. Yeah. We've all, we found that politeness always works on ghosts. 90% of the time, if you say, hey, can you stop it, please? Or if you'd be like, hey, my guy, I hear you. Mm. Enough. They'll usually listen to you. Loving the shenanigans also have to sleep in the morning. And then they're like, okay, yeah. Yeah. There you go. Well, Sarah, thank you so much for coming on the show. Can you tell people where they can find you and your work on the internet? Thank you so much for having me. This was such a nice hour of my life. Um, So you can find me 
on the podcast You're Wrong About, on You Are Good, a feelings podcast about movies. They both start with the word you, so that's convenient. You can just search them up simultaneously that way. Mm -hmm. And I am on Twitter at remember underscore Sarah, and I am spending way too much time on there lately. Last night I tweeted a thread where I try to take a screenshot of every single outfit that Kirsten Dunst and Michelle Williams wore in Dick. And I'm really happy that I put my time into that because it was worth it. That sounds like Yay. quality entertainment that people should be following you for. Those clothes are so good. It's the best outfits. <laughs> <laughs> it is. I also feel a need to say, watch Kirsten Dunst's TV show about MLMs. It's incredible. Mm. It's very worth it. Excellent. Excellent. And remember, listeners, uh, while you are doing that and not investigating the creepy sounds downstairs, remember, stay creepy. Stay cool. Spirits was created by Amanda McLaughlin, Julia Shafini, and Eric Schneider, with music by Kevin McLeod and visual design by Allison Wakeman. Keep up with all things creepy and cool by following us at Spirits Podcast on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, and Tumblr. We also have all of our episode transcripts, guest appearances, and merch on our website, as well as a form to send us in your urban legends and your advice from folklore questions at spiritspodcast.com. Join our member community on Patreon, patreon.com slash spiritspodcast, for all kinds of behind-the-scenes goodies. Just a dollar gets you access to audio extras with so much more, like recipe cards, both alcoholic and non-alcoholic, for every single episode, director's commentaries, real physical gifts, and more. We are a founding member of Multitude, an independent podcast collective and production studio. If you like spirits, you will love the other shows that live on our website at multitude.productions. Above all else, if you liked what you heard today, please text one friend about us. That's the very best way to help keep us growing. Thanks for listening to Spirits. We'll see you next week. Bye.